Well, good evening to each of you. We greet you in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord, our Savior, our King. It is in that name that we want to acknowledge our gathering. I hope that doesn't become redundant for you. I hope it has meaning to you when we greet each other in that worthy and holy name. I trust you had a good day. Um, I have to tell you that I have been inspired by God, and this morning I tried to practice what I preached last evening, and when I woke up about 4.15-ish, what, what do you think I said? What do you think I said? Anybody? Good morning, Jesus. And it was a good morning. And... Uh, I said, good morning, Jesus. You are my king. You are my savior. And I want to serve you with all my heart today. How many of you all woke up this morning and said, good morning, Jesus? All right, there's a few. All right, there's a few more to go. All right. I think it's a very, very good practice when you wake up in the morning. You look Jesus straight in the eye. And even if you want to lift up your hand and place your hand in his and say, good morning, Jesus. He's personal. He's our king. He's our savior. He is alive forevermore. Why should we not recognize him for who he is and commit our ways to him? For the memory verse, verse says, we turn to Romans chapter 14. And these are kind of the theme verse for the week. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 and 18. Let's read them together. Why don't we stand together in reverence to God for the reading of his word. Let's read verse 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he, that is, sorry, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And it brings glory to him, but it is also for our good. And so this evening, friends, uh, I just want to say in the onset, your welcome has been warm. And it has been inspiring to be here. In the short time we have been here, it's been a blessing. And it is good to see uh, familiar faces that are here tonight and Bless you for coming. And uh, I just think my welcoming here in the South was quite a bit warmer than what uh, your poor pastor had got when he came to Ontario for the first time. I think you all heard about it. And it had an effect on him. Look at his hair. <laughs> He's never been the same since. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We love the brother. Um, so... Tonight, 
We want to look into God's word. We want to be inspired. And we want to be directed by him. The uh, title of the message tonight is God's Architecture. And when I think about building, and I think about what God is building, and what he has to build, I often marvel when I think about what God says that he is building in his word, and I think, well, yeah, that's a nice thought. You know, he says, I will build my church. And I say, that's a very good thought. I like that idea. I love the church, and I think it's great that God says he's going to build it. And he even affirms that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that excites me. Until I stop and think, and I said, what in the world does he have to build with? And it stops me in my tracks. And it humbles me to realize the methods, or sorry, not the methods, but what God has to build is remarkable that he can actually build something beautiful with it. And what I'm saying is, he uses sinners saved by grace to build his church. Turn with me to Matthew of uh, chapter 16. And I'd like for us to consider this when we think about God's architecture, when we think about God, he's building, and then the affirming thing that he makes clear here, and I would like for us to consider a few things here. Matthew 16, verse uh, 13. And he says, when, and I would like for you to consider this. In verse 13 is the beginning of this discourse, if you would. And then verse 20 is the end of this uh, short little uh, scripture. And I would like for us to consider what, how he begins and who he is addressing. So he's talking to the disciples, plural, right? In verse 13. And in verse 20, then he charges his disciples, plural. It's not singular, it is plural. So he is speaking to a body of believers, that he is that that are surrounding him, if you will, and that is who he's talking with. And I want to come back to this significance. We'll read it. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, and look at that, they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias. And others, Jeremiah, and one of the, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And I believe that he was referring to all that he was speaking to, not just Peter. However, Simon Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should not tell, or that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. And so when I think about these, this here passage, I like to think that Jesus was speaking to a body, not one individual, although it was Peter, singular, that then responded and spoke on behalf of the entire group that he was talking with. And Jesus then, he goes on to say that thou art Peter. And I want to do a little bit of a word study here, or, a word, or yes, a word study so that you all understand why I think it's of significance that he's talking to a body, not somebody singular. So he says, thou art Peter. And that Greek word is Petros, which means a piece of rock. Get that? A singular piece of rock. And then he goes on to say, upon this rock will I build my church. And that word is not Petros, it is Petra. And what does Petra mean? So Petros means one piece of rock, and Petra means a mass. So when you think about a mass, that is many little pieces forming together to make one. But keep in mind, dear friends, that this is not one piece upon which the church is built. It is built upon a mass. It is built upon, and I will get to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and, and to, uh, to affirm what I am trying to say. And I would like for us to understand that it is not Peter. Catholicism wants to teach us that Peter was the one where the church was going to be built on. And I was preaching in a church, and I think you may know, I, I just can't quite remember where it was, but it was an old Catholic church that they had purchased, and I was standing at the pulpit preaching, and the ceilings was, was painted with all the apostles. And guess which one was at the very front? With a nice border around it. Peter. And so that theology was, was, was revealed there that they believed that this scripture would convey that Peter was the first pope. And it is upon that that Jesus is talking about that the church is built. And that is erroneous and it is wrong. Others say that it was on, the pro, on, the, uh, on what Peter said about Christ. That is what it's building on. I can accept that, although I don't believe that Jesus built his church upon a, or a, or a confession, acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ. Yes, I understand, but that's what I'm not what I believe that it is being said here. I believe it is being said that uh, thou art Peter, this singular rock, that's not where I'm going to build this church on, and upon 
this rock. And he was looking at the group that he was addressing from the very beginning to the end of this little discourse. He was saying, on this will I build my church. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. If I could find it, we would be all set. Here we go. All right. In verse 19, it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. It is talking about the local church here. And he goes on to say, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, and in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Does that convey a crystal clear illustration of Jesus Christ being the cornerstone? And the apostle and the prophets are the foundation upon which the church of Jesus Christ is being built on. So I'm not, I don't know that people that say it was by the profession that Peter made that this what was referring to. I don't see that being erroneous or blasphemous or anything like that there, but I don't see it being quite accurate. I believe it is the apostles and the prophets upon which the church is being built on. Because he was addressing the apostles all together. And he says, upon this rock will I build my church. Upon this mass will I build my church. And he's been building on that for a long time. And so when we think about that mass, we think about a mass where all the individual particles have lost their identity and have now become one. That is the body of Christ. That is the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? That is what it is. And it is upon it that the church of Jesus Christ is being built upon. And so therefore it says are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And I'm not an architect or anything like that there, but I would have understood when they were, taking, when they were building, they would go down to bedrock if at all possible, and if not, to go down on solid subsoil, and then they would place a corner rock. And I think the way, if, if you would watch... Maybe some people are still building a stone found, like a stone building or something. They would set a stone in the corner. And that cornerstone determined the, how square the building is going to be. Everything of that building was built off that reference point. It was specifically on the corner, and by it, it governed how, how straight it is this way and how straight it is that way. And that cornerstone was the determining factor of how accurately and how good that building is built. And Jesus Christ is that for us as the church of Jesus Christ. And we have to keep in mind, dear brothers and sisters, that he is building his church. And my question to you is, are you or I, are we part of an instrument by which Christ 
can continue to build his church. I still marvel when I, not because I'm looking at you, it's because I know who I am. When I just shudder at the thought, he has this material to use to build a building that brings glory to him? Oh my. It takes a supernatural grace to make something like this into something beautiful worth building on. But I believe he does. By his supernatural grace. Not by what I can do and not by what you can do. But by what he does in you and through you. And uses you for that, uh, for that cause. And I would like for us to ask the question. What material uh, is, is Christ using to build his church? Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 9. And here is where I got the title from the message. And it says, in verse 9, it says, For we are what? Let's say that together. Laborers together with God. Let's say that together again. We are Amen. Are you excited about the fact that you are an instrument in God's hand and is using you as a means whereby a church can be built that will bring glory to God? Is that not a thrilling reality? Humbling indeed? When you think of your imperfections and my imperfections, our blemishes, our weaknesses, our shortcomings, and yet by his supernatural grace, he is saying that you are workers together with God to build. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Now, you all farmers, you all know what that mean, husbandry means. So that means we are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And that word husbandry means a farm, and the building means architecture. And so he uses you in this mighty edifice that he is building for the glory of God. And for, uh, and, and isn't that amazing? And then look at what it says in verse 10. It says in verse 10 that according to the grace of God, which is given unto me. And here it goes again. As a wise, and this is Paul that is talking here. And he is saying, uh, it's given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. And who is I? The Apostle Paul, right? Does that know who's talking here? So the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing. By the grace of God, he, laid the, he, he is part of the foundation as what we were talking about before, the apostles and the prophets. And Paul is saying he's part of that foundation. And others build thereon. Then he goes on to say, and let's read that together, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. There needs to be very, very intentional uh, attention given to how we build on there. Amen? 
Very, very intricate. It's specific. Or else the wall starts going off to the one side. I can give you an illustration on how it is if building is done poorly. So we manufacture fertilizer in our, in our plants. And we have a packaging line. And then we have bags that they come out and then they start one layer and then the next layer and the next layer and they might go 10 layers high. And they're all to be chimney bricked, if you will, so that they all tie it together. And I can be assuring you that if somebody doesn't pay attention how they lay those bags on top of each other, all of a sudden that pallet goes like this. And then when there's any movement at all, they go in there with a the forklift or when it moves on to the automated shrink wrapper and it starts going around, it just all falls apart. So that is careless building. And here it says, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there it would imply that Jesus Christ is part of that there foundation. He is that cornerstone, amen? So he is a significant and a vital part of that foundation, no doubt. Now if any man build on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So when we think about how to build, we are laborers together with God. We are his architecture, and we are given grace. Grace is measured from God to us to enable us to build upon that foundation. We might desire, I know that there is, a, every, every one of you out here tonight, I believe that you wish you would have more grace than what you have, right? I think we're all that way. Oh, I would just long to have more grace. But let us understand, dear friends, that God says in his divine word that grace is metered from God to man in what we are able or can handle no more. Even though that selfishly, I wish I could be Mr. Super God Man. That's really what I would like to be. But you know what? I couldn't handle it. And neither could you. And so therefore, God, in His goodness and His mercy, gives you grace metered by His wisdom to what you and I are able to, and also what we are called to be. Now, I want us to understand it gives us very sharp instruction here that we are to pay a close attention how we build. So yes, we can build with gold, silver, and precious stone. Things that have eternal values. Gold symbolizes faith refined by trials. In 1 Peter 1.7 Silver signifies redemption and purity. In Psalm 12, verse 6, 
precious stone represents virtues like love, patience, and kindness. All these things are material that can be used and will be used to build. And we can build with material that has eternal value. But likewise, we have to pay attention because there are materials such as hay and stubble. Hay representing superficial or shallow faith. Stubble signifies works devoid of eternal impact. Those are things that are very temporary. And when I think about building hay forts, I tell you what, they don't last long. They don't withstand much wind. They don't withstand much trial. They're very shallow. They're very temporary. They're very flimsy. But when I think about something that is built with uh, things like gold, silver, precious stone, and you build those intricately one upon one, upon one of the other, and you build it up and you build it up, then the wind can blow and the storms can, can roll, and they're unmovable. As you all know that, that story in the Bible of the wise man and one he built, and the foolish man. Wood, hand, stubble is called foolishness. And gold, silver, and precious stone is built in the wisdom of God. And so when we are building with eternal matters in material, faith, love, righteousness, we are not constructing something temporary, but we are constructing something eternal. Let us not forget that. Because there's a day of testing coming that we must understand that we want to be built upon the solid rock and that foundation. So let us build wisely with, uh, on, on eternal treasures, seeking to glorify God, knowing that our works will be tested. So if you want to know what your life is being built on, check the foundation. And you will know upon which you are building. Remember Jesus Christ is the unchanging, unshakable, cornerstone, part of that foundation that we can build our lives on without a doubt. And that is where he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 7. It says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. 
That was referred to back in 1 Corinthians, and now it's referred to as well. Where grace is measured from God to us, and is given to us as a gift. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, give, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is that? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Why? Why did he give that? That's right. This is a part of the building that he wants to do. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of what? The body of Christ, which is what? What is the body of Christ? Help me out. Everybody together? The church. That's right. That is his bride. And he wants to build that. And he wants to build it. And he says he will. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. Till what? Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect Oh, sorry, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but, or sorry, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, that whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body into the edifying in itself, sorry, of itself in love. Jesus, dear friends, is that cornerstone. He is the head and he is the cornerstone. He is the all in all. And so, dear friends, when I think about the purpose he is building, for the glory of God, of course, but it is also for the perfecting or the maturing of his, his children, of the saints, it's not perfecting meaning in the, mean, the way perfection that you and I understand it to be, but it is by the maturing, by the completeness, by the fullness. And when we build on Jesus Christ, and we build for the glory of God, and we build by His grace, and we build by His wisdom, then, dear friends, that there is going to be a completeness, a wholeness called perfect. And dear friends, that is an amazing reality that you and I can experience in the, in the church of Jesus Christ as he is using us to build that big architecture that he is building. So when we think about uh, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, 
What are we called? 1 Peter chapter 2. I'd like you to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, underscore that, as newborn babes, being born again, desiring the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tested that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Talking about Jesus Christ. He was denied. He is that a living stone. And then he goes on in verse 5. Ye. And he is saying you. Here at the peak Mennonite church. Ye also. As alive. As lively stones. Are built up. A spiritual house. And holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, friends, do you believe that the Peak Mennonite Church is part of the Church of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? You all believe that? I hear a few yeses. If not, what in the world are you doing here? If this is not part of the church of Jesus Christ, and if this is not part of what he is using to build, then what in the world are you doing here? I'll be that candid with you. This is, I have no doubt in my mind, without a doubt, that this is, a, this is an entity that is Christ-centered and it is the foundation in which you are building on and thereby I believe it is part of what God is using to build. You as individuals in this congregation is using to build the church of Jesus Christ. And if not, I'm asking you again, what are you doing here? Why? Why bother go through all this kerfuffle? Because that's all it is if it's not for the glory of God. Ye also as living stones. That requires a supernatural grace in order for a rock to have life. If you go out in the field and you pick up a big rock, there isn't much life in it. Amen? But here it talks about a lively or lively stones. That speaks about a supernatural grace that brings life into something that was dead. And that is being used to build up what? What type of house? 
Brick and mortar? No. A spiritual house. One that, in, that encompasses and brings about spiritual life. And there, my dear friends, we have to understand we want to be part of that. And so we also have to understand, it says there in verse 1, that we are supposed to lay aside some of those things that hinder building. Oh, I, I can still see my brother-in-law. He lays bricks and he's a mason. Uh, and when I think about, he talks about the, the mud boy. The boy that makes the, or the man or the person that makes the mud. And we kind of, <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not just the mud boy. But I want to tell you, dear friends, without a shadow of a doubt, if he makes us dung in there instead of grid, that building won't stand. What he's blending, what he's mixing, is of great significance so that that building can be put together. And he needs to put debris and, and foreign objects, he needs to put those things aside so that he can hand the mason pure and un unadulterated, can I say, mud, so that building can be accomplished. And so likewise here, there are some foreign items that we must repel and we must remove in order for us to be good at building by the grace of God. And some of those things are malice. You're not going to build with that type of debris in the mud or guile or being a hypocrite showing one thing and doing quite another or saying a whole lot of things but not doing anything for God. Envies and all evil speaking. See dear friends, the church is to be a pure bride without spot and without wrinkle. And that is what God wants us to be. And we need to build carefully, lovingly with his wisdom, with his discernment. He is the head. He is the foundation. And we are to build thereon. And you know, friends, he commissioned the church to represent him and his authority. He ordained elders and deacons and pastors to supervise and manage the affairs of the church. Those are all things that he did throughout the scriptures. And he gives his counsel and direction to do so. And all those differences, all those uniqueness, and every you know, sometimes I say, boy, I'm unique. <laughs> well, yeah, I am. No doubt in my mind, but so are you. I don't mean to bust your bubble, but you are unique. Very unique. There isn't another one like you. Either you're thankful or you wish there was. I don't know. But I'm dead serious. We all are unique. There isn't one DNA that is the same. There's not one personality that, there's some that gel better than others, no doubt. But there isn't one the same. And we need each other. And one thing that I see that is happening, dear friends, in the building process of the Church of Jesus Christ is individualism. 
we can be so geared towards our own agenda or lacking thereof and we're just not going to get engaged we're going to sit off to the side and watch this episode in building and when something goes wrong we hide behind our, 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 our hands and snicker but individualism dear friends is so destructive and the power of the church is lost when individualism finds its way into the church when all come together with their personal agenda and there is no submission and surrender going on that this mesh that this all can be built together but we all want to stand out to be uniquely ourselves it won't work and so when I think about individualism and how that destroys the power of the church and the design that God has for it I would like for us to consider an illustration. When I think about a, a, a unity and men and women surrendered and submitted to the will and the way of God and, and binding their arms together and working together to build for the glory of God, I would like to give this illustration. When I think about something that has lost its identity, I brought, I asked Shay for a hammer. So this now are, are many, many atoms. All individual parts. This is a mass. And every single atom has lost its identity and is no more individually identified, right? It is now molded and forged together as one. There is no separation. It is forged together by fire to make one. This is a mass. This here now has power. It has the ability. And now I'll lay that there. And this is what I would like for us to be, uh, to be on guard for. Here I have a bag of sugar that is almost identical in weight as what this is. But inside this here bag, as if I would open it up or show you in a bag, there would be many, many little particles. Nothing forged together, but many individual particles in there. Now, if you take this and this, which one is bigger? Well, the one with all the individuals. So that is called, and I don't mean to be super critical, but I am critical, of megachurches where there is vast amount of people, thousands and thousands, and I'm not judging their souls, but one thing that I can assure you, there is very little forging together to make one. Rather, they are of a Protestant persuasion that all that matters is my relationship with God, and that's all that matters. What my brother thinks, what my sister thinks, doesn't matter a hoot. What matters is between me and God. And the churches are full of individual people that are saying all that matters is between me and God. I don't care about this, about my brothers and sisters. There's no forging. There's no surrendering. There is nothing that will bring them together. And that is called Protestantism versus biblical brotherhood. Biblical brotherhood puts us all together, forged together with the common cause for the glory of God and there lies power. Now I'd like for you to consider this. 
This here is breakable, right, ladies? Is that breakable? Yeah, okay. I will hold this. This is how powerless individualism is. I guess it broke. Okay? It, I, I want to tell you, friends, it has very little power. You know, I could take another plate that is stronger, and I won't, because this one here isn't as breakable. But I could take this here, and I can assure you that the bag of sugar would not break this, but the hammer would. And that conveys a unique difference. What the power of unity will do in the church. If we have an accumulated individuals that are all together for individual purposes, individual agenda, there will not be a breaking. There will not be a brokenness. But I will assure you, as we surrender our will to God, and our agenda becomes, well, the Apostle Paul says this, that we must die. We must uh, die to self, take up the cross, and follow him. And as we do so collectively, we become forged into one body. And thereby lies the power of God to work together as a body. And then we can move mountains. But individually, we can't. And there's many people that are sitting in churches today not accountable to anybody. They're individual. But oh yes, all that matters is between me and God. Their vertical relationship is all that matters. Horizontal means nothing. And I want to ask you this question. Well, you know what? Jay, you're kind of a gray-haired fella. You come on up. Uh, there's a young man out the back with a maroon shirt, or red shirt. Come on up. Uh, where's another one? I need a little guy. You Come on up here. Sure. Just uh, uh, come on up here. So we have three people up here. All right. A young, brilliant-looking young man and a bit of an older fella. And then... So, all right, so here we have three individuals. They're all looking at you, cheery-faced, looking good. You're looking mighty fine, young lad. You are. I love you so much. Okay, so now, what I was going to say, this individual here, all by himself, now you push up against my hands. Push really hard. As hard as you can. Yeah, see, it doesn't work. Because individually. Now... Jay, you go behind him. You turn around this way. You put, and now you put your hands again, his shoulder. And now you, now you start pushing all three. <laughs> yeah, see? Now we can move mountains, okay? Uh, yeah, so by working together, dear friends, we can move mountains. Individually, I'm sorry, buddy, but you just couldn't do it. But with Jay, and what's your name, bro? Carrie. Carrie? Yeah. With, so with those three together, yeah, you could move um, I won't say how heavy I am, but anyhow, so many pounds. The other thing is, there's many people sitting in the audience tonight in individualistic churches that have blind spots that aren't being looked at. How much, I'm going to ask you this question, Jay. You can answer it. Help me out. What percentage of Jay can he see with his own eyes? How much of himself can he see with his own eyes? There's a lot about Jay that he can't see. 
right? All right, so you step out of there a little bit. And then you come over here. So how much of you can you see of yourself? Also very little. There's a whole lot that you can't see. And same with this young fellow. There's a whole lot. Now, when I set you guys together, like this, and like this, all right, now, how much can be seen? You all can see each other. And I can see Jay's blind spots. And I can bring them to his attention. Do you want me to? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, one thing your collar is down a bit. There you go. I straightened it out. <laughs> you see, there's so much of ourselves that we don't know. You understand what I mean? And so there's so many needs that are not being met because of individualism. I'm not going to be told by Jay. Well, your collar was down all the while you were sitting there. Did you know that? <laughs> but that's okay. I still love you. But it's <laughs> Yours was too. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm trying to say is all of us working together, loving each other, and building, edifying one another in the Lord by pointing out our weaknesses will help one another to edify. Thank you. You can go back. So, dear friends, when I think about uh, edifying and building one another up, it, the, the building of the church of Jesus Christ has no room for individualism. And therefore, let's keep in mind, we want to be forged together in this body so that Christ can build it together. Instead of individualism, we want to be a community of brothers and sisters Excuse me, that cares for each other. Because do you know individualism? Well, okay, let me, let me say it this way. The word devil in the Greek language is diabolus. And do you know where we get that word diabolic from? Very divisive. So by nature, by title. Satan is a de deceiver. He, he divides. And he tries to separate us. And I'll tell you the method that he uses and is very successful. It's the divide and conquer. If I bring those three boys, or three, oh, yeah, boys, Jay, you can just enjoy that for a minute. Uh, if I bring those three boys up here again, and those three together, there is protection. But what Satan tries to do is through methods such as discouragement and the lies of no, of no worth, all those methods he uses, and many, many more, to separate you from the brotherhood and bring you out by yourself. And it's like the African wild dogs. That's what they do. They go into a flock. And they herd out, they separate out one individual, and then they attack it because they use the divide and conquer method to destroy. And Satan, the subtle, sly fox, does the same. He divides and he conquers. And if any of you think that you can stand alone, you are going against the grain of what God's plan is for you. You won't make it. 
you won't make it. Standing alone in the face of the wiles of the devil is foolishness. It's very unwise. You're saying I'm superior. You're not. We must, dear friends, understand God's design. He said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is because the church is a mass. It's not individual. Not upon Peter, but upon that rock, which is that mass. And it is thereby where we find the security of being within the will of God and his design. And we cannot afford, dear friends, through arrogance, high self-esteem, and all those methods that Satan uses, and think that I can muscle my way through life, going against the will and the plan of God. Won't work. As newborn babes desiring the sincere milk of the word, ye are as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. And remember, those are plural. Lively stones. Plural. Not singular. Keep that in mind. Satan uses divide and conquer. He tries to divide children from their parents. Youth from their parents. Intermediates from their parents. It's seemingly getting younger and younger. That we don't have the family unit as much anymore. Satan tries to divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. And the younger he can get them, the happier he is. And so how much, dear friends, do we need each other? We desperately need each other for to be within the will of God. Because the Spirit and the Bride say, come. The Spirit and the Bride. And so, dear friends, let's remember. Let us build together for the glory of God. Surrender our will and way to the order and the commands of God. And yield ourselves to one another for the glory of God. And thereby the church will be built. Let's pause for a time of prayer. Eternal God, I pray, Lord, that you would minister to the hearts of each one and that the words that were shared tonight, that it could bring glory to you. And oh, help us, God, to, to glorify you in and through your plan. And I pray for each individual here tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to the hearts of each one and Lord that if there's any here tonight that are standing alone whether by choice or whether by circumstances Lord I pray that you would speak to their hearts draw them into the fold of your design and purpose and will I pray Father if there's any here tonight that want prayer, I pray that you would draw them onto yourself, nudge them. And I ask you to keep your eyes closed. If there's any here tonight that find themselves alone, whether by will or circumstance, want to bring their lives into the order of God, I invite you to raise your hand and we'll pray for you.
Is there anybody? Thank you, Lord, for the testimony of this group. I pray, Lord, that you would minister your grace as they built together, meter out upon each one the call you have for them. Enrich them with your anointing. Enrich them with your grace. And may you receive all honor and glory. Through Christ we pray. Amen.